Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And on today's podcast, we'll discuss how Fulham didn't take the opportunity on Friday night to seal automatic promotion back to the Premier League. We came up against the immovable force that is Wayne Rooney's Derby County, the brave Lions fighting for their city. Well, that's what Sky Sports would lead you to believe anyway. Back in Fulham land, though, it was a big missed opportunity after Forrest's defeat to Luton. And it will mean that promotion may have to wait until Tuesday against Preston North End, just as long as Fulham can avoid a third defeat in a row. Here to discuss everything that happened at Pride Park on Friday. First of all, Stephen Sheldrake. Hi, Stephen. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, considering. Dan Cook, Hello. Hi, Sammy. How are we? Fine, thank you. And Lydia Campbell, how are you? Hi, guys. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Now that I'm back from Derby and not thinking about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how was the trip to Derby on Friday, Lids? All the way from Manchester. Is that a long one? I, I'm, I'm trying, my geography is a little bit lost um, there, Manchester it's not too to Derby. Bad. It took me by just under two hours to get there. I'm back. Oh, okay. So, oh, so yeah, I got, I got home and I, I left a mate home as well. One of the, my pals was working in the game, so I, I had to take a slight detour. But So I got in at about half 12 or something after the match. It wasn't too bad. No. Well, let's do some three-word reviews before we get into everything that happened against those gladiators from Derbyshire. Uh, Dan, what were the best ones that came in? Can I just say beforehand, you only ever ask me to do three-word reviews when we lose. And it just sort of oh. like takes it takes Aww. me back, like in time, like in that moment, I go through this. Like, oh yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? So oh, I'm really start. sorry that this has happened. I didn't realise that this was the case, and particularly considering we don't lose that many games, apart from what well, we didn't used to anyway. Um, that's a bit. That's a bit of a shame. But there were some good ones, so it's okay. okay. We had Richard Smith with uh, promotion party postponed. We love alliteration. Yeah. Had Colin Bugler with on the beach. Uh, some suggestions that we maybe uh, weren't fully there on Friday night. Had uh, Tom Lindstrom with name of podcast, which perfectly sums up, uh, yeah, that performance on Friday. Yeah. And then there was a couple that I liked because I try and always take the optimistic approach in these situations. There was Chris Lewis with. Preston pitch invasion, which yeah, fully support that. <laughs> James Peters, I thought, with very smart delaying the inevitable for both teams, and finally Rick Cardis with tossing it away. Mm, indeed, well, his own goal was what separated the two sides in the end. Um, Dan, it was a difficult trip to Derby. Um, obviously, the trains were messed up. A lot of people had to drive there for forty-five minutes. It looked like. The promotion party was going to happen. But in the second half, um, 
Derby obviously made their comeback. My first question is, do you think it was some complacency? You know what? I'm not entirely sure that it was. I just have a feeling, and I've, I've noticed it a few times this season, we have a tendency in some games to just melt away. And it felt like that on Friday night, that it was one of those, we were in a bit of a hostile atmosphere. There was a team that was scrapping for their lives. And it just reminded me of sort of similarities to sort of when we went away to Blackpool and they were really up for it, or when we went away to Coventry and they were really up for it. And I think in those situations, we we haven't been able to get our quality to show above the opposition sort of drive and their physicality. And I think that second half was the perfect case of that, where it's just Derby just wanted it more. And I don't think that means that the Fulham players didn't want it because we saw with their celebrations at the start of the game, like when we scored, the players were up for this, but it was just one of those. I, I don't think there's a massive need to worry that everyone's packed it in because they think we're going up. I just think we just got done by a team that was scrapping for their lives. Yeah, Stephen, it... From the from the view of the telly, it felt like it just everything went against us in that in that second half. An early goal, an own goal, Mitrovic just being offside, Mitrovic not being um, quite as clinical as he usually is, passes going astray. It was just one of those forty five minutes of football that just. Of course, of course, Fulham couldn't just have it simply go their way. The perfect Good Friday, Luton doing the business, Fabio putting us 1-0 up. There had to be a sting in the tail. It's Fulham. There has to be something at the end of it which just goes, no, no, you can't just have it nice and easy like every other team would in this situation where they would just cruise to victory and, I don't know, get out of the bunting. Yeah, you're totally right, Sammy. You know, I think we collapsed at halftime. My visuals of it is I can imagine Rooney in the dressing room going to the players, right, this is it. You don't go out there and win. You guys are down. This is the end of our journey together. And they just realised the gravity of the situation and went tooth and nail and put on a bloody good second half, let's be honest. And we, I just, I think the motivation was there for us, but maybe not maybe not in the same way. And I do just think it was their ruthlessness that took them through in the end. Uh, we, you know, we've seen lots of different versions of Mitrovic over the years and we know when he's in form and smiling that he'll, you know, pop him in from anywhere on the pitch. And then sometimes he seemed very frustrated last night, getting very, very angry, especially shouting at the lino when he was offside, like quite clearly. Um, you know, it felt like one of those where he was only going to get chances at you know, fell to his head and the keeper obviously pulled off a crazy good save um, to stop him. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think Derby just wanted it more. I know it's cliche, but I could just, I could see the hunger and yeah. Hey, we're waiting for a promotion party at home on Tuesday, right? That's the real, that's the real gem here. Yeah, silver linings to it all. Um, Lydia, I felt like I quite liked the lineup. Um, I mean, Joe Bryan at left back was a little bit of a surprise, but we had Kearney back in the middle. I think we'd all been crying out for Kearney to, to get his slot. It actually really wasn't his night in the end. Obviously, he was very culpable for that first goal, but I looked at it on the face of it, especially once we were 1-0 up and thought, this is Fulham's night. And I, I did honestly think once Fabio had scored, I was like, well, we're running away with this because we just carved them open and we'd silenced the crowd a bit. I, I Maybe complacent, maybe arrogant, but I, I just thought at that point, this was this was going one way and it was a, a massive Fulham win. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's one of those ones where you kind of, you know what nearly should happen, but 
um football isn't a game of of logic it's not a game that follows scripts it's not you know and that's why we love it at the end of the day and look I think Marco Silva put it perfectly after the game he said that our pressure is a nice kind of pressure to have Derby's is not and I think you know that kind of shone through particularly in that second half that um they were the ones sort of lived up to their to their pressure, if you know what I mean. And and the other thing um is yes, I liked the lineup, but I didn't like the subs. Um I'm sure we'll come off come on to that in a bit. But I think um yeah, I know that Kearney might have had a part to play in the first goal, but I mean series first um contribution was to lose the ball in the midfield and they went up and and scored their second. Um, I didn't really get Harry Wilson being brought off. Yes, he, he, he wasn't the best player in the pitch. He wasn't certainly wasn't his best performance. Um, but I didn't like that he was brought off when when he was. Um, yeah, there was just quite a few things that I, it was just frustrating. That second half was a polar opposite. It was nearly like the teams came out and switch kits. And we we were the you know it was it, that that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so yeah, lots of question marks for me. Um, over team um changes throughout the match, but look, it is what it is. Um, they're scrapping for their lives, and we all know that they're actually not a bottom a bottom side. Do you know what I mean? It's not like we've we have lost the bottom of the league, but they're not bottom of the league because of their performances. They're bottom of the league because they've lost twenty one points. Um, do you know what I mean? So it's not it's not as bad as it as it might look on paper. So I, I do think there is a slight element here of underestimating Derby because I was thinking back about the team that we started with in this game. And for me, seeing Joe Bryan and seeing Tom Kearney suggests that I think Marco Silva thought we were going to be playing against a team that was going to sit back, hit two banks of four or four and a five and just be really stubborn, really hard to break down and maybe look to get one chance in the game. And I think that where it threw us, especially in the second half, is that Derby didn't come for a point and try, or try and nick three points late on. They came at us. And I think that's where we struggled is we'd picked players who we thought would be able to unlock a tight and stubborn defence and were a little bit taken aback, but they came at us with full throttle. But we should probably have expected that because a win is all that Derby need at the moment. They can't do anything else other than win games, otherwise they are down. Mm. I mean, last two games, Dan, we've come up against sides that have not respected us and it's really works. Like you've got to look at the blueprint of playing Fulham. Surely um, Preston will have done their homework for, for Tuesday and thought, let's not respect these boys because actually, I mean, five aside cliche, they don't want it. <laughs> no, no, it's true. And I think the number one worst thing you can do as an opposition team against Fulham is set up passively. If you set up being passive, sit back and just try and be a bit awkward we have the quality just to, to walk around that. We have players that can impact the game in the final third and will create chances and will inevitably put the ball in the back of the net. And it has been the teams that have tried to go and not necessarily match us in the sense of, of play us at our own game, but just disrupt us from our own game, right? So making it really difficult, not allowing Tosin and Tim Ream time on the ball to pick out all their passes, not allowing our wing-backs to get round and get into spaces to cross the ball. And, and you know, you... It, you can say this, you know, Preston will have done their homework and maybe they'll try and do that. But I think one thing that does also need to be said is that it is hard to flick a switch like that. 
you know, if Preston haven't been playing like that this season, which they haven't been, it's quite hard just to one game to be like, right, we're going to go full pitch press and we're going to make it really horrible for Fulham. Because if your press isn't perfect, and I think actually it's one of the things that why we conceded that first goal, because our press wasn't perfect and they beat it quite easily and then we were exposed, you get chances. And it just so happened that, you know, we played against a Derby side and a Coventry side who are good at pressing and so made it really difficult for us to play through. But I don't know if you can expect the same from Preston. No, it does slightly worry me though that we're going to come up against some really good pressing teams next year. Yes. <laughs> we were like, oh no, we're the pressing menaces of Coventry and Derby. <laughs> we can't play young club flipping Liverpool next season, for God's sake. Um, we'll come on to that another time. Um, Stephen, the first goal, really lovely move. Um, Decadova Reed, actually, you know, he got a lot of stick um, from Friday's performance, and rightly so. I thought, particularly the last 15 minutes, I mean, you might as well not have had him on the pitch. But it's a really lovely layoff to, to Fabio and the finish is just exquisite. And yeah, as I said to Lydia, I did honestly think that was, that was the start of something, but I feel like Fabio's not really found those chances easy to come by in the past few weeks. We know that the news that he's gone to Liverpool and it's all but assured, but he enjoyed the goal. He enjoyed the celebration. I, I, I'm still enjoying watching him play. And I know there's some people that wish that Sonny Hilton was getting a game or whatever. And maybe once mathematically things are done, maybe that's the case. But right now, I still think that Fabio is a, a fantastic asset and it, and it is showing that despite the apparent news that he's gone, the, the, the desire is still there and the passion is still there when he actually does get on the end of things. Yeah, actually, I just fell in love with that goal we had last night. Um, I thought in terms of one-touch passing and, you know, one-to-ones, that was just brilliant from you know Bobby and Fabio and um I think Bobby actually had a good game overall in my opinion um and you know he is he is getting goals here and there considering he hasn't been starting all season I think he scored seven if I'm right and Cavallo might be on nine but yeah Carvalho showed exactly what qualities he brings to our team you know breaking through the players the, the short passes the running it's just Really, really impressive. And the way you could just unlock a team so swiftly like that. On the 19th minute, it really felt like it was going to be our day. And when you look at the manner in which we lose our games, we've always discussed how when we go behind, we really struggle. And last night we took the lead and we had the power and, you know, very much caught by surprise. Uh, But one of the best goals of the season, in my opinion. Um, what What I find interesting is the phrase I've heard a lot recently from commentators and, and film fans is how um, kind of off the script these results have been. But kind of touching on what we're discussing, it's like we had the forewarning of Coventry when we lost 3-1. You know, we couldn't beat Derby at home and they've got, you know, kind of take, taken four points out of us in total. Blackpool as well. These teams have clearly figured something out, you know, and there is a slight concern there that we haven't been able to kind of um, learn from the first time as such. I know it's always different, but um, there is something to be thought about there, I think. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. 100%. And look, three of the four games remaining, we haven't beaten this season. Bournemouth, um, I genuinely think we should have beaten Bournemouth, but Luton had our number um, and Sheffield United 100% had our number. The only team that we've got left to play that we have beaten fairly convincingly was Nottingham Forest, which is still a very odd game of football. I think if we look back at that game of football, we're like, that was never a 4-0, but somehow we managed to come out of it. Um, Lydia, let's look at their goal. Uh, Luke Plonge with the finish. 
Tom Kenning just needs to tack, just need uh, uh, it's t- tactical foul, mate. Just, just, just. I don't even think you'd get a yellow card. It was so far in their half where he could have stopped that counter attack coming. But still, TC obviously is the initial one to blame. But and I've, I'm really sorry, I've forgotten the player's name who did that 50 yard run. But he is allowed to run an awful long way, and Fulham just don't get anywhere near him. And by the time that he plays the through ball, well, we're in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, I mean, we just we just left the pitch open for him. It was like the Red Sea parted. And I think, um, you know, both goals were like that. You know, they, both goals were carbon copies of, of, of the other. Do you know what I mean? They were exactly the same. Um, same losing the ball in and around, not necessarily the halfway line, but not that far into our own half. You know, in a position where we shouldn't really be losing the ball. We should, There's no, no danger, really. Um, so it's down to our own mistakes then a matter of let you know not making a tackle was it Timmering possibly came out and just kept backing off I got, look I, I can't remember I, I'll be honest I haven't watched the goals back because it annoyed me so much <laughs> so I saw them live on the night obviously um, and you don't really get proper replays in there um, but to me it's just a matter of um, stick a tackle in lads do you know what I mean like I was, it was sort of just letting them go it's casual, isn't it? Yes, it was casual. It, it it absolutely was, and um, you know, as I say, yes, um, it was a a, a, to, a tossing on goal for the second. But like, if he didn't put it in, Plunge would have put it in anyway. Um, it's it's one of those ones. It's an unfortunate on goal because it's not like it looped off his, you know, shin and looped over the keeper or something. It wasn't like that. Um, I think I I think it was down to they were in our faces. And they weren't in the first half. You know, I feel like someone on my Twitter actually put it quite well. I can't remember who it was. Um, they gave us too much respect in the first half. We should have put the game to bed and we didn't. If you come in at half time with a one goal lead or one, you know, you're only one goal behind, any manager in the dressing room knows what to say. You know, like we're not out of this. We're not, you know, whereas if we were three nil up, maybe we would have demoralize them do you know what I mean and that and that just wasn't the case at all um so I think you know traditionally we we haven't been very good at holding on to you know when it's one nil going into the last 10 minutes I, I still always worry as a Fulham fan not so much this year but um that's if you if you give a team fighting for their lives any hope at all they're going to hold on to that um, they got into our, in our faces they were intense they put the ball in the box when they needed to they had two chances, two goals. So, you know, can't can't really argue with that. Two things. I think the first one, for their first goal, I, one person that I was really disappointed with was Nico Williams because in that situation, he's left an awkward situation because he's got no front protection. But I think he's got two options in that moment, which is one, press the man in possession of the ball, or two, make sure that the winger doesn't get in behind him and into a dangerous area. And basically he does neither. He holds off, but also doesn't stop the ball getting through to the runner. And that's where the whole issue came from, that inside ball in between centre-back and full-back. And, and then that's when we were exposed. So I think Nico Williams has to do one of two things there. And it was a bit disappointing that he did neither. And the second thing is, it are we calling him Plonge because Plange sounds really naughty? 
because I thought he was Luke Plange, but and I've always found that funny. <laughs> I have no idea. I just thought it was Plange. I'm on the no, wrong Plange. I'm, pre- yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Plange, but it does sound a lot like Flange, which is you know quite awkward. <laughs> no, I mean, that wasn't the thought process. Taking a turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Plange it is. I'm sorry. I've just thought it was plot. Or maybe it's the Frenchman in me that, uh, that decided to orange it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was Liam Thompson, by the way, who did the gallivanting run. Oh um, yeah, he our, was brilliant all night. Yeah, he was really field. good. Him. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's a he's a highly rated youngster. I mean, Stephen, they had some really good um, youngsters on the pitch. Eberway on the right hand side gave Joe Bryan a torrid time. I think Joe Bryan just about stood up to him like well enough. Like, yes, it was a really difficult first half for him. Darby then brought on Ebersele, who is also really fast, really fit. And Joe Bryan must have been thinking, oh, give me a break. But yeah, they had some yeah, good youngsters on the pitch, Darby. I mean, Plange has <laughs> gone to Crystal Palace, but it's admirable what they've done. Let's 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 be frank, with with a, a ramshackle team. Ramshackle team. Very good, Sammy. Oh, um, that was unintentional. <laughs> of course, of ne- course. Never say it's unintentional. Own it. Oh. Own it. <laughs> Gotta be uh, honest. So, yeah, that, you mean, it, that first goal was actually really bloody good. You'd spot on the money, Dan. Nico should have done better. Uh, but you know what? What a ball, um, you know, aggressive ball across the goal and tapping. Good goal from Derby. And yeah, you know, when. Uh, I first saw Joe Bryan trying to keep up um, and, you know, not being successful on the first attempt. I was like, my goodness, it's going to be one of those nights where he gets absolutely hounded. um, And that's going to be a really big weak point for us. But you know what? Joe Bryan actually really held his own, you know, considering we know Robbo's a little bit more pacey than him. uh, And, you know, Joe Bryan's not the tallest of lads. He actually just got stuck in and put in a few really good tackles. There was one where he was booked where I was pretty sure he won the ball and that actually confused me. But he ended up winding up, you know, winding up their wingers and, um, you know, it wasn't all the chances coming from the from the left-hand side there. And I I think he did the best he could. And um, I actually thought he had a good game, uh, all things considered. So, yeah. Uh, and the second goal, Lydia, I mean, I think it's Bielik who does this kind of crazy back heel in the middle of the air that kind of creates the opening um, for the cross, which then um, Tosin inadvertently puts in. I don't look at it and think it is the worst defending I've ever seen. Maybe I'm wrong, but like the odds of that pulling off that weird bicycle kick back heel um, is pretty low. I think, you know, most defenders would be not expecting someone to be able to do that. I don't know. I, I looked at it. It was one of those like I do, I couldn't obviously see a culprit for this goal. Yeah, I, d- I don't necessarily think there was an individual to blame. I do think Siri lost the ball in the midfield. Like literally, the first time he went to touch the ball, he lost it, and next thing they'd scored. Um, but it's not. I'd, I'd also say that he had literally just come onto the pitch. You know, yeah. it's not a matter of um, you know, I'm giving the ball away the whole game. It was just maybe a matter of they were on it and he wasn't quite up to speed yet. Um, I think it's always worrying for me when you concede as soon as you make two changes. You know, you and um, you know, you should be especially when you're initially in possession of the ball. You know, you don't you don't have to take risks. Let let those players get get into the swing of things. Um, I think it, you know, it's one of those ones that Darby know 
I don't know whether they were aware. Well, they've two very big lads as centre back, so let's stick the ball on the ground and go fast. Like I, I, I don't know. Um, but you know they did it twice. It was yes, there was a, a little bit of skill involved there in the second. Um, that was pretty exceptional. But I don't. I think the actual goal. It's coming from a low, a low ball, very hard across the face of goal. Two good balls in. Do you know what I mean? Like you can do that nine times out of ten. That that's going into the defender, or the keeper. Do you know what I mean? It's just what one of those nights where it just worked twice for them. Um, that happens. It's yes, you're right. There wasn't an individual to blame, but I think in general we need to tighten up. In general, we need to tighten up, and we need to. Um, we're not used to conceding this many goals in a few games. You know what I mean? Like what we're not we're not used to losing two back to back. Um, so we need we need we need it. It's to be a shock to the system. We have to absolutely tighten up at the back. We will have to absolutely tighten up in the midfield and not be so slow. That that was part of it. We were slow. We were trying. We were we were trying to control the game at our tempo against a team who were their intensity was so high. You just can't do it. You you can't you can't give a team that kind of opportunity. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I've got loads of questions, so we're going to get into those next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Lydia Campbell, Dan Cook and Stephen Sheldrake. Uh, just a quick one. I uh, don't remind people as often as I should, but um, if you enjoy this podcast, please do give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Always hugely appreciated. Uh, feel free to leave a little comment if it's on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, ideally, you know, if I'm being picky just like five's great uh, let's not consider anything less but you know if, if you do want to give anything less maybe just don't bother leaving one but anyway please leave us a review always much appreciated if you enjoy the podcast let's get into some of your questions that was the most like just give me what i want i don't want an honest review <laughs> just, just, just tell me what i want yeah <laughs> Imagine that I did that in a shop, just like, uh, it, here's my TripAdvisor card, five stars or else. Um, uh, Matt Wall says, what to do with Mooners? Clearly not at a level to impact a game from the bench in this division yet. He surely can't be first line replacement next season in the Premier League. Do we loan him out or do we keep him around for the experience? Dan, I feel like you and I have discussed this an awful lot. I do feel bad that he gets so chastigated when he can't make the difference, when he can't comes on five minutes from the end and, and Marcus Silva effectively says, save the game for us, Rodrigo. But also we have to stop just sticking him up top. For the love of God, Marco Silva, you've got to have better than that in your locker when we were gold down. Yeah, it's not the most inspiring substitution when you see it happen because you know exactly what sort of patterns of play we're going to start playing and it never works in our favour. My worry with Rodrigo Muniz is that I don't see a striker who is naturally clinical. 
at the moment. And it's, you know, it might be harsh on him because he's still young and he's still adjusting to being in a new country. He's not played a huge amount of senior football, full stop. But he seems to panic in front of goal. He panicked on Friday night. He got the ball. He took a decent touch. And then he's just sort of horrifically swung his foot at it. And I think he studied it towards the goal in the end. He's, he's missed the ball and ended up just sort of studying it weakly into the keeper. And that just, to me, looked like a man who was panicking because he knew that was his moment. What to do with him? I, uh, I don't want to say this on the podcast. I worry about Rodrigo Muniz because I'm not entirely sure if we've got ourselves a, a good enough player here. And I think in that on that basis, he needs to go out on loan somewhere, I think, because he needs to be playing a full season of football, wherever it is. Doesn't have to be in England, doesn't have to be in the Championship. Ideally, I guess, yes, because you want him to adjust as much as possible. But he needs to be playing football because if he's going to be doing the same thing in the Premier League next season, which is being told to go on with 10 minutes to go because we need a goal and all that he's getting is floaty, loopy, long balls that get pumped into the box. He's never going to really progress as a footballer, you know, as a striker. And you see it with Alexander Mitrovic. It's the all-round game that makes a striker of that sort of build. It's the being able to bring it down and bring other players into play. It's being a nuisance. It's being clinical in front of goal. It's a lot of things. And he doesn't get really to practice any of those in the match because he's basically just there to win headers and sometimes try and get on the end of something. So I think for me, if he goes out on loan somewhere, that's the best option because I don't see him progressing. and I also don't see it benefiting us just using his, him as an impact sub in the Premier League. I mean, who, Lydia, what else can we do though? Let's say Muniz does go out on loan. Do you sign another striker? Do you potentially try and loan one? As a Mitrovic backup, it's not a particularly tantalising prospect come be on the bench this season for Mitrovic. There might be a kind of striker who it does suit, maybe a veteran. It's, it's, it's a tough, tough call to make for the recruitment team what to do here because, as Dan says, I don't, I don't see it carrying on working as it has been this year. Yeah, I think, I think um, next year we need to think about our, our game plan. I mean, that, that that has to be part of it. I mean, Mitro isn't going to get the chances um, in the Premier League as he has this season. I mean, that that's, that's it, that goes without saying. Um, so it might be a matter of not necessarily having a Mitro backup, but having a different way to play, you know, and, and I'm not saying, you know, do what Parker did and bench Mitro. No, of course not. Metro has to be our main man next year. He has to be. Um, but I think we also need another option that isn't, as you say, the Chuck and Mooney's on in the last five, ten minutes of a match up front and kind of expect him to do something miraculous. I mean, that it, it you know, it doesn't work like that, and he's not that sort of player, and he's also not experienced enough to do that. Um, I think if we are gonna loan him out, we need to bring another striker in but not necessarily in the same mould. Like I'm wondering, do we need a different type of striker? So even if we do keep keep him um, for next season as an option, I still think we need another type of player up there. I don't really know what the answer is, um, but I do think that we need we need more options in, in the Premier League next year. Um, yes, I know we're not up yet, but I mean, it would take something absolutely ridiculous for us not to go up. Um so the the coaching staff and the recruitment guys need to be thinking about this now. They need to have been thinking about this at Christmas, 
Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm sure they have. And in fairness, yeah. I'm sure, you know, you, sure see from this man of Sol- you see from this man of Solomon signing, you see from some of the lo- rumours going around. Yeah. You know, I was speaking to Dean Jones um, ab- about Fulham's transfers and he's pretty adamant we're busy this summer. Like, and he knows right. that Fulham are already more than making inquiries. We are putting ourselves out there. Well, and we like, need look, to be. We need- I mean, part of me worries a bit because... I don't want to unsettle this squad. And, and I think there's been a bit of a knee jerk reaction for the fan base that suddenly I think all but Mitrovic and Tosin effectively are now out the team, according to some next season, Stephen. I mean, there has been a little bit of a meltdown after Friday. Like it's suddenly I feel like no one in our team is now Premier League quality, which to me <laughs> just does seem like a tad overreaction after nearly scoring hundred goals this year. Definitely. Look, we're not struggling to get off through the playoffs, having a late transfer window. I think what's really interesting about this scenario is Khan has had his excuses of being inexperienced, then us being promoted so late that we didn't have time to sign those crucial players early on enough in that Premier League campaign. Now we're top of the league. He's got more than enough time. He can stop obviously doing the transfers now, planning them. So this is it now. Like This is where Khan can really show whether he's got he's got stuff or not. And I think he's been learning, in my opinion, the transfers have been getting better and better from what we've seen. And there's been some clever business. So I'm full of optimism in terms of how much of a squad rehaul we need. I don't think it's as dire as previously. However, there are some very clear spaces uh, that need to be swapped in and out. Like for example, we know Tim Ream, um, the goddess of goddess, oh, god of centre back. Wow, we call him the man bun. Yeah, exactly, the hair does get confusing. He's got me there. <laughs> hey, the, you know, he, he's a god to us, but he can't play Premier League next season with the Premier League strikes, in my opinion. Um, so you, we need a centre back, an Anderson esque. That's guarantee. Uh, Muniz needs to go out on loan uh, without a shadow of a doubt, and Mitrovic needs to have a backup striker because Mitro can't have everything handed on the plate. He's going to have to work hard. And he knows that though. And he will prove himself to be good enough in this Marco Silver system, which is a lot more attacking and a lot more suited to his style of play. But that doesn't mean he can rest on his laurels and just like be the best man in the team and, you know, not give 150%. Um, so, yeah, we have to sign a backup striker. Um, maybe someone of a bit more flexibility. Uh, maybe can, you know, sit Cam or Winger, maybe um, who could fill in a few roles perhaps. But we, we have to fill that position. Um, and people need to stop panicking. Look at the look at the D table. I mean, we're Fulham fans. We've, we've been on the other half of the championship table. You know, we know how it feels. Um, we've done phenomenal things. Uh, but to sum up, you know, we're in a bad bit of form, but I think Tuesday's game is by far the biggest game we have remaining of the season uh, due to the impact it could have. I enjoyed, um, this wasn't a question, but uh, it was in the questions tweet uh, from Adrian Gavin. He said, you must all remember to be really depressed at only being nine points clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. Yes, we must, of course, make sure we're nice and depressed. Uh, it, it is a terrible position for Fulham um, to find themselves in. Yeah, we're just not used to it, Sammy. We're not used to this happiness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've, we've been happy for a few months now and a bit of misery. We've all absolutely jumped at the opportunity um, to get back into our normal lane of um, moaning about Fulham. It's all been too positive for far too long. Um, Oliver Smith says, is there a reason for 
for Bobby starting ahead of Cabano. Uh, he's been great with his contributions this year, but recently starting, he's not been effective and he seems to concede possession a lot. The Derby match was screaming for Cabano and he said he was very surprised at the substitutions. Um, Dan, I mean, it's mentioned a lot, this whole Decadova read over Cabano. It's not working. I don't know what, why is he persisting with it? What's Niskin's done? What's he said to Marco? Yeah, whilst I wasn't overawed with Bobby's performance and he was very frustrating on Friday night, I was watching the highlights back and he creates the first goal and he actually creates a massive chance for Harry Wilson where we could have gone 2-0 up when he plays a lovely ball sort of dinked into the area and Harry Wilson shoulders it instead of heading it. And so I think it's easy to think that you look at the overall game and it, I guess it depends what you want, right, in those moments. And I think Niskin's always looks a bit better than Bobby because you always like to see your winger taking the man on. And we know that Niskins has the ability just to skin someone and that's great. But there is also the element of what comes after that. And I think Niskins' end product this season has been good. But as much as I didn't like Bobby's performance on Friday and as much as I think Niskins should have come on earlier and it should have been for Bobby or even started, you can't discredit you can't take away from him the fact that he created a, the first goal and created probably our second best chance of the game so I think there's that element that I think he's very good in those fine spaces I like Bobby in those moments I, I really think he's one of those players that's great to bring on when we're trying to break down a team because he does tend to pick up little pockets of space he, he's very good in those tight enclosed spaces uh, and then similarly I think we spoke about it a couple of times in previous games like QPR is that the value he adds off the ball defensively because he has experience of playing as a right wing back. I think Marco sees him as a little bit more stable, especially against teams that they th that think we're going to be, that they're going to try and hurt us route wide. And I think that's sometimes where Bobby's played ahead of Niskins. But it's interesting to me that it does seem to have been a very recent thing. It has been over the past month that Bobby started to sort of have that spot over Niskins, regardless of even when Niskins is fit, which has surprised me. And I would like to see Niskins come back in because it's been a joy to watch him play this season. I kind of the same, like when I see the lineup and I see, you know, the, the magic trio up top, I get really excited with Wilson and Cabano. But, you know, we, if I remember correctly, we run our two games, you know, since the international break with Bobby and then Cabano actually did come in against Coventry and started. And who was the only player to score the goal in that game? Bobby, who was the only player to you know set up the goal in the last game, Bobby. So like, it's one of those weird things. Bobby has, I think, always been one of these players that has been underrated. Like he's our, he was our top scorer, admittedly, five goals, but <laughs> last season in the Premier League, you know, and from wing back yeah. a, a lot, a lot of the time, I, 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 there was just a few times though where I felt like. I think maybe, I think Bobby's problem was that he wasn't taken off. I think that was the biggest thing for me. I didn't really, wasn't really getting bothered by Bobby's performance until I thought on the 70th minute, why bring Wilson off? Because I didn't think Wilson, I thought Wilson in every game, I think that Wilson is one of our more creative players. I thought it was odd he got taken off against Coventry as well. Like he wasn't brilliant, but I thought he was creating some stuff. Like that was, that's the thing for me is both times, like I, I just feel like maybe Bobby would have been the player to take off rather than Wilson. Obviously, that was not what happened in the Coventry game. It was what happened uh, in last night's game. Um, Lydia, Daniel asks, he said, Tim Ream was on Twitter 
um, talking about um, the Luton game being moved to the evening, uh, talking about open-top bus parade and ruining end-of-season celebrations. Marco Silva said Borough away was the hardest game of the season. Since then, we've not won and looked awful. He says, why on earth has the management of the last week been so awful? I think what Daniel's alluding to here was... Is it getting a little bit presumptuous, a little bit cocky, a little bit um, sure that we are 100% promoted? I'll defend Tim Ream here that I don't think he really was going out of his way to talk about the open top bus celebrations. He replied to someone saying that would be fun, um, in other words. But still, a little bit of an air, you know, creeping into it. Do you think that maybe this is complacency? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think I think um, we came away from that Middlesbrough game, um, not fortunate to win, but it, it was a hugely battling performance from us. You know, I mean, it was it was a dig deep moment, um, and I feel like the players have maybe come away from that thinking, "There we go. There, there's the breakthrough. There's the not confirmation, but there's the the biggest hurdle we'll, we we need to kind of overcome." Before, because I think what a lot of them thought is that when we play the likes of Bournemouth, when we play the likes of Forest, it's more going to be in mind of winning the title rather than promotion. Um, and I think that unfortunately has creeped into the dressing room. And I don't think that's right. I think you have to, you know, let's be honest in sport. Yeah, you play to the whistle. You know, you don't, you know. And I think that, that this is kind of a situation where we're not doing that. We're kind of we've stepped off the gas a bit very prematurely now yes we should still i mean it would take something absolutely mind-boggling right now for us to get uh, for us to not get get promoted um but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be like we we shouldn't be playing like that we should be playing like our life our lives depended on it and i do think the boys went into the game at derby like i think we mentioned um, a few minutes ago the celebrations show how how up for this that the players were but that was a different team that turned up in the second half and I do think it is a matter of oh we're 1-0 up we're going to stroll through this which wasn't the case at all and we can't do that we just so I think unfortunately because things have went so well this season for us um that I think there is an air of arrogance about us at the minute which we isn't really what's going to benefit us on the pitch. You need to have confidence in yourself, of course, but I think it's now just turned into we're better than everyone else. And um, you know, we are forgetting that these are other these other teams we're playing are actually also good footballers. Um and that's we we need to stamp that out immediately because I do not like that. I don't like an arrogant football team. I've I've always hated that. I've always been a supporter of the underdog um and yes it's amazing at the minute watching this team do so well but i don't like the arrogance i'm not i'm not enjoying it and i think that's one of the reasons why we have dropped points in the past few games yeah indeed uh, i mean dan glenn cottingley makes a point here related to that he said if our results this season had been mixed up instead of coming in streaks do you think we'd be feeling much happier with this team's frankly amazing not seen in more than 20 years and never before that performance yeah i guess so it's, it's worked out weirdly right that we are running just happens to be the teams that we've failed to beat 
at times throughout this season, which you and, need- all, and a lot of the bad sh- sections and good sections have all happened at once. You know, on seven in a row, there was the weird thing before Christmas. There was also that kind of September period where we kept losing games. And then now we've had this kind of April period where we keep losing games. It has been enormously streaky. It's either we're, you know, in fifth gear or first gear. It's, it's, it is quite odd when you look back at the league kind of results. Yeah, I think part of that also does come with the way the championship schedule works. You know, when you're playing like so frequently, you when you're talking like your Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday sort of fixture list, which especially does happen in that first chunk of the season, it tends to ease off a little bit as you, as, as the season as you go past January. You teams get into grooves, right? And and but everyone says you know winning becomes a habit, but so does losing, and and for us drawing the game a habit at one point. And I think that does is a case of that. And sometimes we've managed to break those bad cycles, which has been important. And sometimes we have seen ourselves in a good period and not expecting that actually, you know, we, we go win seven on the bounce, then the one you least expect to, to lose is the one you lose on the, the eighth game. And I think that is just an element of the championship. I think it's an element of playing so frequently it catches up with us. And also we've seen it and we've spoken about it with Marco Silva. And so I think sometimes when our runs have ended, one of the first thing that's been said is like, why have we not rotated more? And I think that it may also be an element of that, that fatigue that comes in. But ultimately, I would probably rather be a streaky team, personally. I think if you're going to, you see teams that, for example, you look at, at Blackburn, they had that one hot streak and then they've just had a mishmash of results for the rest of the season since then. And it's just left them sort of floundering in nothingness because they've not been able to build any momentum up. Whereas you look at what we've done, what we did in January is we put these string of results together. We distanced ourselves and then suddenly we stopped becoming a target. You look at it now, you know, you've got Bournemouth fans who have been cheering us on in matches because they don't care about us anymore. They, they, we're gone as far as they're concerned. And they want us to go out and beat Forest, for example, or beat Borough because they're looking the other way. And that's what happens when you win sort of consecutive games like that. Perhaps in this Marco Silva style of play, you, we would discuss how, okay, well, why, you know, why has Cabano been dropped for Bobby recently? Why is Wilson being subbed off on 75 minutes? Why is Brian starting over Robinson? Perhaps our wingers are just feeling the effects of the, you know, the championship season and a, a very, you know, intense style of play. And obviously Nico's only come in halfway through, so he's a bit fresher. Perhaps there is something there we don't know about. It's not an excuse because we have a huge squad um, and that everyone else is playing the same games as us. But perhaps it is a point um, to think about at this late stage of the season while we might not have been kind of creating as many clear-cut chances and having the same amount of energy out wide as maybe we perhaps expect of our team. Yeah, um, Marco Silva's version of Bielsa burnout just uh, <laughs> happening with, uh, with Fulham. I mean, look, I think there is no doubt that you can like put our season into chunks and that this last third of the season has not been impressive. There's been points where we've been like getting the wins and like it has slowed down. There is one silver lining though that I said in the quick take that I did after the game on Friday night, which I still think is the biggest silver lining out of what is happening right now. I would rather that Fulham were making mistakes and learning about kind of the flaws within our team right now where ultimately it doesn't really matter like better for this to be happening now than in august 
where suddenly Marco Silva realises, as we concede three to Crystal Palace at the first game of the season at Craven Cottage, that we can't defend against a counter-attack or that actually it's really easy to press against us. I'm hoping that actually what they've learned in these few games is that, okay, teams actually started to figure out a little bit how we play towards the end of the season. How can we avoid that happening in the Premier League? They've got May, June, July to kind of figure that out and potentially put some plans in place. You learn a lot more from when you lose than when you win. So that's my only silver lining that I'm taking out of this is that actually I'd rather this be happening now than be happening in the Premier League. And hopefully, as you say, Fatigue is kicking in clearly, which I find surprising. We had a massive break of two and a half weeks, but look, I guess it's not like a full on summer break, is it? Um, so there is obviously an element of fatigue kicking in and I just hopefully next season will be a reset. And look, let's, let's hope that in the next few games we can right some of those wrongs and, and not completely take the shine off this season. Like, yes, I still believe that if we lost every game, we'd probably go up. It would require Forrest winning every single one and they've got to play Bournemouth and, and Bournemouth will be losing points and then might not catch us either. But still, it would be an awful end to the season if we just lost every game um, from here on in. But speaking of upcoming games, we're going to take a break there and then we're going to briefly look ahead to Tuesday's game against Preston. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Lydia, Dan and Stephen. Let's look ahead then to Preston on Tuesday. And look, we kind of did a bit more of like a looking at Preston's team um, in Thursday's podcast um, with Jack and the, the the long and short of it is that Cameron Arch is a very good player. We should keep an eye on him. He will um, take chances if he gets them. But of course, guys, this could be Fulham's promotion game. I'm sure we're all fingers crossed, really hoping it's Fulham's promotion game. I mean, the permutations are this. If Forrest beat West Brom, they're playing them on Monday evening. Um, then Fulham need to win in order to secure promotion against Preston. If Forrest draw with West Brom, then we just need a point uh, against Preston in order to secure promotion. Uh, If West Brom win, we are promoted. Doesn't matter what happens on Tuesday. First thing, am I alone in wanting Forrest to get something tomorrow against West Brom. I want Fulham to secure yeah. promotion on the pitch. Am yeah. I alone in that? No, no, no. definitely not. No. I would much rather we turned up on Tuesday night knowing a win will do this for us than, oh, we've already done it. Like, we clearly don't cope well with complacency, as as we've already said. So um, let's go out and need to win and do it that way. That would be much more fun for everyone involved. Uh, I mean... Dan, there is a little bit of pressure getting this over the line. Clearly, it was it was a slight factor against Derby. Are you confident that in this one, Fulham can actually deal with that pressure? Yeah, this is like number one thing not to say, like on a podcast previewing a game, right? But Preston at home feels really like the free hit of like, here you go. Here's a championship team that's had a very average season. They've got a new manager who's sort of still finding his feet a little bit and they've got nothing left to play for. You're at home. You've been by far the best team in the league. Just go out, put three past them celebrate, have a great evening and get it done with. And that's how in my head I see it going because I think just Preston have had a very average season and they're an okay side with a couple of standout players. When we played them earlier in the season, all of our players were having 
toilet problems and it was hard to garner anything from that game because they were not feeling in the best shape. It, ju- it just feels like the perfect game to win, to, to have to when you need to win is at home against a team that's got nothing left to play for. What is the plan B if this goes tits up? Like, it is like genuinely, I'm like, what is what happens, Stephen, if we lose three in a row and we're still not promoted? And then, like, you've got Bournemouth suddenly on Saturday who might be just six points behind us with a game in hand. I mean, like, genuinely, we may reach peak Fulham Twitter actually self imploding. I might just delete the app because I can't bear. <laughs> what would happen if we don't win this look sammy it's gonna be absolutely fine um i've said that out loud i'll tell you what i've got i have i have pure science as to i've done everything i've done all the calculations so first of all uh i haven't actually seen fulham lose this season 10 wins and two draws my dad who's been to the same amount of games seen at least five times he's not going i've locked him in the basement so he's not allowed out I feed him every now and then. Secondly, you've not blown you've not blown your foghorn, which you did on the last couple of occasions because of the live one or whatever it was. So these two factors together. That uh, was George. Thank you very much. Before okay. I get it in the neck, whatever foghorn it is, you know. Um, and- Am I allowed to bring the air horn to Craven Cottage? By the way, do you think I'd get that through security? Oh, oh please do. Please. It's almost tempting fate, but I think you should. I'm now going to get extra bag search. Like my place <laughs> is going to be on the thing. Search for the horn. I think you should do it. You should do it. Um, and then, look, these last five games, right? Those last four teams we're facing are bogey teams. They are fighting for playoffs. They're bloody good championship sides and they're going to fight two for nail to get points off of us. And if we're not at our best and being complacent, as Lydia's like highlighted, we really are getting complacent, then we're going to have problems. And suddenly, we might be looking, like you say, that Bournemouth scenario is like, Oh, we've just given the championship away. Like, oh, like, and yeah, it's not the end of the world. We'll, you know, we're going to get promoted, but you know, fuck it. We should win the championship, right? Like, we, it belongs to us. We've got ourselves in this amazing position already. We've done the graft. And, in my, you know, Preston, they're 13th. What are they playing for? There is no excuse, like, why we don't just go at them completely, get the three points, get the job done, enjoy the rest of the season, and start planning for the Premier League. That's it. And I feel good. We're going to do it. We have to do it. Um, and obviously, if we lose, it's not the end of all by any means, but you can see the things starting to add up where if Bournemouth decide to actually play well and get the results, then suddenly we're that t- that match with the Cherries, you know, on the South Coast is going to be quite tense. But hey, you know, I think I think we'll, we'll be fine. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> Lydia, are you sure? You're, you're on the same camp as me. You're not going to be eating for the next two days. Like no, that. I'm just it's going to not- be I, I'm just, I just always get nervous ahead of games like this. Like, and yeah, I agree. I mean, Preston have basically nothing to play for anymore. Um, it should be if you, if you look on paper at the teams we have in the next five games, this is the one that should be the, the most straightforward. It should be. Um, but you know, we're Fulham, aren't we? We like to make things difficult for ourselves. Um. I'm praying that we don't do that because I could really do with a nice simple night on Tuesday night. But <laughs> um, let let let's see what happens. I think um, I reckon two defeats in a row will be enough to give our guys a boot up the backside, the boot that they've needed maybe for a couple of games. Um, and we're also at home. Um, we're not playing against a side who, if they don't win, they're probably going to get relegated. Um, so yeah, th- this is the one to do it. But I will forever be nervous. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I, I, it's, it's the meltdown. I can't take it. I can't take it. Like I, genuinely, the Hammersmith event will explode on Tuesday. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen, and we get out those magic. We're going up banners. That's what we want. The blue banner with the yes. Comic Sans writing. That's what we want. Tim Ream running around the pitch with that in his Jesus robe, as Charlie Cooper requested. <laughs> Please, for the love of God please. So we'll see what happens on Tuesday. I mean, we'll see what happens on Monday. Of course, it could just be all academic. Maybe we do just want West Brom to win. Bugger it. I've changed my mind now. I don't care <laughs> no, about doing on the pitch. Just let West Brom win. Mitro needs to like go full aggressive Mitro, get a hat trick, be one off that freaking goal record. And then we've promoted and yeah, that's yeah. what needs to happen. Oh, no, I'm gonna cash out. I'm cashing out. I'm, 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 on, I'm on. I'm on Sky Bet right now, cashing out for half the value of what I could win because I'm just nervous. Anyway, we'll see what happens on Tuesday. Um, Dan, what would you like to name the podcast other than like um, grow a pair, Sammy? <laughs> I think based on the conversation we've we've had, we'll go with Richard Smith's promotion party postponed. Yeah, it does what it says on the tin. Thank you to my guest today, Lydia Campbell. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Dan, thank you. Always a pleasure, Sammy. And Stephen, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Is your dad okay? No. (laughs) (laughs) He will be on Tuesday night, don't worry. He's going to... I'll text him the code so he can get out. (laughs) All right, okay, if we win. Brilliant. Um, Have a great rest of your Easter weekend, and let's hope Tuesday is the night. Whatever happens, myself, Jack and Peter will be back uh, doing a podcast on Wednesday uh, reacting to the events at Craven Cottage. So keep those fingers crossed. Let's hope Tuesday is the day. Come on, you whites. (laughs) 